Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. It's episode 41 today. Steve Olson here, Kurt Mortensen here. We're locked and loaded. We have some more information on the topic of charisma. Another good blunder, a guy who just can't stay out of the news when it comes to the blunder department. And a geeky article moment brought to you by Kurt. We're in a little bit of a hurry today because we've both got places to go and people to see. Um, to do. Yeah. Lives to save. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty optimistic about your agenda today, it sounds like. Well, hey, it's a beautiful day, and I'm stuck inside. I think the bigger picture, I just was realizing last week, which, as everyone knows, it's beautiful spring. I spent over 20 hours on webinars. I think I'm getting a little stir-crazy. 20 hours on webinars? Do you even yeah. have that much to say? Well, I did last week. Luckily, some of them were to different audiences, so I could repeat. But uh, plenty to say. Plenty of things <laughs> to do in the world of persuasion and influence. I just think that's why I'm a little stir-crazy. It's too much time indoors when it's beautiful outside. you got to start booking those things for February, I think. Yeah, I think that's better. Or move my office out onto the deck, <laughs> get a little sunshine, although the wind might be a problem and the dog's barking, but I guess we can deal with that. We'll record a disclaimer, hire some voiceover person to say, Kurt is recording outside today. Please excuse birds and hammers and cars and whatever else, right? Or any other mistakes he makes, we'll just accuse nature and... Hey, that'll be a good thing. Hey, that's a great cover, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry, dog bit me. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> dog bit me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, bird just started pecking on my head. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> this is not a hunting podcast. A, or a grizzly just... bear came and I got a little panic. Sorry for teaching you something that didn't work. You know? <laughs> grizzly bear. Where do you live? <laughs> I guess I need to move deep into the mountains so I can use the grizzly bear one. Cause I haven't yeah. Seen one. Wow. Yeah. You must live up in the mountains in Montana or something. You know, you could get internet up there. Hey, satellite, get anything you want. Yeah, yeah, that's getting better and better. So we're going to fire away today. Like I told you, we're both uh, just about to hit the road. Busy week today, lots of things going on. But we, of course, can't start the week without having our one-way conversation with you, our favorite listeners. We have our fans in Iran we have to think about. How's, how's our downloads doing in Iran? I haven't checked lately. I haven't checked. <laughs> I think the government is mandating that people listen to the podcast. That's the only explanation. Yes. Yeah. So, listeners, we have a lot of downloads in Iran. We're trying to figure it out, but we're working on it. Hopefully, our Iran listeners can email us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com and let us know what they think. Yes. And the more we talk about it, the more downloads we're going to get from the NSA on our podcast. <laughs> It's all about the downloads, whatever all, we need to do. All, we don't care that it's from a supercomputer that, that grabs right. it 7,000 times, yeah. So it's okay. 7,000 different departments, hey, whatever it takes. Yep, yep. Are those black Suburbans pulling up in front of my office? Right. I can't tell. What are those dark sunglasses? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that certainly portrays confidence when they, you know, when they do it like that. They're trying to portray a certain aura or mood when they roll around in those black Suburbans and and that intimidating get-up that they wear. Good segue, by the way, getting into confidence. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> it, it totally uh, demeans the confidence of the people that they're trying to intimidate. I, I was flying out of Oakland the other day, and they had an airport policeman. And the way these policemen are dressing these days, I can't believe it. This guy looked like he was about to fast rope into Baghdad out of a helicopter. 
It's like, you're an airport policeman. You know, he's wearing Kevlar. He's got pistols on his thigh and a bunch of different magazines and a rifle on his back. And I'm thinking, what are you going to do? What are you expecting? What don't I know here? That is odd. I've been seeing a trend of that, too. Usually when you go to foreign countries, you see that quite a bit. But I don't know if it's to imitate us or to help them feel more confident or they're just having fun with it and their supervisor doesn't know. Well, our country is in so much debt right now that we're headed towards being a banana republic, so our police need to dress the part. Is that it? That will do it. That yeah, works. yeah. Now, not trying to get political, but you know, I, I think if you can't see the country has a lot of debt, you're probably beyond help. So <laughs> we'll stop right there. And let's launch into the podcast content today. Well, actually, we're going to do the geeky article moment brought to you by you, right? So the geeky, I don't know if I'm liking that, but I'll go with it for now. But it's been in for like six episodes now. You can't I change know, it. But I doesn't mean I have to like it. But anyway, <laughs> perusing the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, probably where that geeky thing comes from. <laughs> yep. Yep. There was a really interesting article about. Trusting a stranger. We've talked a lot about trust with persuasion, influence, negotiation, sales, charisma. It doesn't matter. Trust is a key element. And a lot of times trust is that instant feeling that we get when we meet someone in that first 30 seconds. And, of course, there's long-term trust. And this was about why do we trust strangers, whether it be on eBay or at a flea market? Because trust is crucial for our, our relationships. But what about strangers? And why do people trust strangers so fast sometimes? And we both know it's a lot to do with subconscious triggers, which could be uh, the color, it could be their gestures, it could be the words they use. But they also did some studies, too, why other people were just so trusting. They discovered that people are inclined to trust others because they feel it's the social norm, right? Social validation, social norm. Uh -huh. Or they expect to gain something they don't fully explain, that the stranger might have something they need to give to them. And so they found that people trust others because they feel it's their duty or moral responsibility they find that when people trust others, get this, this is interesting, because it's their duty or moral obligation. Now, we're talking about strangers here, so they feel it's their duty or moral obligation to trust a stranger more than they should. We've kind of talked about that on the show to a degree, right? You're saying that there's a norm, they're expected to do it, so you take a doctor or law enforcement. So I think people that are trying to increase their credibility they're looking at those professions and they're going, okay, what is it about that that makes them more trustworthy? So you see, for example, on a late night infomercial with uh, some kind of a quacky health product that isn't necessarily accepted by mainstream medical science, yet you've got the pitch man wearing a white coat, a lab coat, right, to leverage that credibility and trying to tap into what people expect. Or you have night watchmen or security people that are wearing uniforms. I was at Target the other day. You ever seen the Target police? <laughs> I don't think I have. Yeah, they, they dress like regular policemen. They have a badge and everything. I mean, you would think that it's a, a real policeman. And I think that they're hoping to subconsciously generate that kind of intimidation and obedience that comes from that. Is, is that sort of what we're talking about here, or have I gone off the reservation? Well, what you're talking about is true. We're talking about complete strangers that aren't wearing uniforms, that there's no expectations. But you're right on, based on a uniform based on that white coat, based on degree on the wall, based on history, there is an element of trust that comes with that. That's right. And we've talked about that before, based on profession, based on uniform, and we can talk about power. We're talking complete strangers, dressed normally, off the street, coming up to you, that you meet at a flea market, that people are feeling that they're supposed to trust them, that's the right thing to do, they should give them the benefit of the doubt, versus going, wait a minute, what's going on here? 
That's pretty interesting because I think we live in a an increasingly distrustful. Is distrustful a word? We'll count it today. All right, take that, Mister <laughs> Webster. Get to writing. So distrusting person. That's how our society is becoming. You don't trust a stranger, yet the article seems to indicate that there are instances where we would just trust a complete stranger. And that's the shocking part of it, because trust is at an all-time low. And so what the article found is trusting others is what people think they should do, and emotions such as an anxiety or guilt come up sometimes because they're supposed to trust the person at the flea market or maybe trust the person coming up to them on the street or trust the person that's really begging for money. I think deep down we want to trust people, and it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. It was kind of interesting on the studies to where it's kind of opposite of what we would expect sometimes, but the good news here is, is deep down we're feeling a need, a social norm to trust people, to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though trust is an all-time low. I've read and studied a lot about how the brain likes to create shortcuts, and that's probably what this is on a subconscious level. The brain's just going, I'm tired of not trusting. I, I want to be able to just trust somebody to be able to take those facts at face value instead of always, always having to question everything and research everything. It's probably kind of what's going on here on a brain level or a cerebral level. Yeah, I think so. And I think part of this, too, is that trustworthy people want to trust others. I don't think they took any people that were really untrustworthy in this study because they're always looking for people to take advantage of them. And that's part of when we talk about detecting deception, that distrusting people are always playing defense. and They're always looking for things or people yeah. are accusing you of doing it first versus people that are trustworthy. I think deep down, they want to trust you. They want to give you the benefit of the doubt. And it is one of those shortcuts that they found in the study. That I'm that way. I probably give people the benefit of the doubt too much. And I work with some people that would never trust anybody ever. I, I wish that we could come with some kind of ideal happy medium where, because yeah, some people are just downright crooks and, and other people, it would be a lot easier and cheaper and less time consuming if, if you could just trust people sometimes. But I guess we get burned too much. <laughs> and I'm guilty there too. I've been too trustworthy and been burned my fair share of times, probably too many times, but it just seems to me life is too short to not trust anybody anytime and have that feeling and always go for the negative. And it, it has hurt me. It has, I can say that, but I just didn't want the feeling to where you just no way don't trust anybody anytime, anyhow. I think life's too short for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just going to spend all of your time scared, curled up in a ball in the corner and yeah, you're going to get hurt when you trust, but I think and, you're going to get living more in done a man down by the river. And we don't want that for our listeners. You do not want to do that. <laughs> Can we get him on the show? Matt Foley, I believe, was his we name. Can. I think I do have some audio clips. We might be able to pull it off. I don't know the legal ramifications, but I'm sure we can find it. I some. think we've proven that we don't care about legal <laughs> ramifications on the show. Well, now that NSA is listening, we might have to start worrying about <laughs> They're a bigger problem than 20th Century Fox, I guess. That's true. Yeah, okay. Well, great. So let's launch into the core portion of the show here. We're talking about charisma. We've been making the case on the show about how if you have that, it tends to take care of a lot of these other things when it comes to persuasion and influence. And charisma has various components that it breaks down into. And last week we talked about passion, right? You've never been persuaded by somebody who isn't passionate about their product or their cause, right? You think about the, the actor Ben Stein, who is famous for his monotone that he does. He had that clear eyes commercial with the, the uh, eye drops and he's been in movies I think, yeah, he was the guy on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Bueller, yeah, Bueller. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he, somehow he was able to be the only person in the history of the world to take monotone, passionless speech and make it entertaining and have people want to hear it. 
but I still would maintain nobody wants to hear too much Ben Stein, right? Yeah, he's that's great positioning on his part, taking something that nobody's ever done before and positioning himself to have that unique voice. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to do it because it's already been done. I don't think that you could duplicate that again. He's got such a unique brand that he's created for himself. But in the meantime, the rest of us have to actually care and have some passion about our product and service. And and so you have to have that. And I've seen people out there that have been passionate and, and very excited, but they didn't exude very much confidence, which is part two of being charismatic, being confident, trying not to cross the line into into cocky. So how do we do that? How do we create that kind of charismatic confidence? Well, the thing about confidence is one of the basis of trust that we talked about with the article and just the studies are amazing as we get into this that confidence in people is a 10-year low and we know that influential people are confident and that the number one complaint this is really interesting against managers in the workplace is arrogance well the interesting thing is this is that a lot of people think they're confident and you talk to the audience or their prospect they're like no arrogant no cocky and we have to figure out what that fine line is because you have to have confidence We've all had experiences with doctors. I remember my wife taking my daughter to the doctor says, well, I don't know. Should we do this? Or you want to try this? You want to wait and see? You're like, hello, man up. Yeah. <laughs> right? What do I do here? You're the what doctor. You thinking? You're the doctor. This one happened to be male. We're like, hello, you're the doctor. You're the expert. Act like it. Have some confidence here. We want that in people. We want confident people that we can trust that will tell us what to do so we won't make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. But too many people cross that line from confidence to arrogance, and that is the blind spot here to where a lot of people think, yeah, I'm confident, I'm confident, I know what I'm doing, but their prospects say, "Mm, no, arrogant, it's not going to work for me. You've got a couple of tips in your book about how we can avoid being arrogant as opposed to perceived as confident. Uh, one of them is to always take feedback or criticism uh, with an open heart. And wow, there's nothing more irritating or annoying or bothersome than somebody who can't admit when they're wrong or takes themselves too seriously. I think I've said that on here before. Any comments there? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I had a talk with my teenager this week. He said, well, I'm not going to back down. That's not how I roll. <laughs> oh, oh, you got to be kidding yeah. me. And, you know, that's, there's no frontal lobe there, and it was in the heat of the moment. I just kind of laughed. I said, well, if that's the case, you'll never have a job. You'll never have employees. <laughs> you'll never be married. You'll never have friends. Because yeah. reality is we're all wrong. We have to admit our mistakes. We all have to back down. And we had a good conversation about it, and he admitted it was in the heat of the moment. But I thought that was really interesting, and that's a big part of it. You have to take criticism with an open heart and not get defensive and, and learn how to listen. And it's so easy to want to prove that you're right and prove other people wrong and back into a corner and win the argument. But, you know, you win the argument, you lose your ability to influence. But the interesting research here that's very, very important that all of us make this mistake. Here it is right here. This is where you cross the line because confidence is about you serving your prospect. Arrogance, it's all about you and what you know and how you're going to do. And this is where people cross the line. So we all know in a persuasive situation, we all hear the same objections over and over again. So it's good time management for us to cut them off midstream and just answer it because we've got the best answer in the world. But that is where you cross the line because here's the psychology behind it. It's the first time they voice that objection. I know it's good time management in your mind to cut them off and give them the answer, but you've cut them off. You're throwing the solution at them. That's where you cross that line. Doesn't matter. You have to let them finish. It's the first time they voice that objection. Pause think about it, then reply is the key way to do it. It might take you a few minutes longer, 
but it's better than crossing that barrier between confidence and arrogance. I'm going to bring in the food analogy because we haven't talked about it. All right, we haven't talked food. We're having at my house, a week from today is Memorial Day, right? So it's grill time. So we're having it at my house, what we call Ribapalooza. (laughs) Yeah, we're inviting a few of the neighbors over, going to... Put a, I don't think I've seen my invite. What's going on? Well, that this uh, is this yeah. is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. All no, right. I, anyway, it's in the mail. Ahead. You haven't uh. got your mail yet today. But we we're gonna smoke some racks of ribs. And the thing about it is, I want it to be ready now. The fact is, it has to be on the smoker at a set temperature for a certain amount of hours, a certain amount of time. I can't turn the heat up and make it go faster. I can't do anything to get it that way. It just is going to take the time, and there's nothing I can do about it. And when it comes to what you were saying, and I hate to compare your prospects to a delicious rack of ribs that you're going to eat and devour, but you know that's kind of where we're going here. You've got to invest the time. They have to say it. They have to go through that process of voicing it and feeling what it's like for you to listen and for you to propose a solution that they perceive to be unique to them. Even though you'd like to put the ribs on at 600 degrees and have them be done in 20 minutes, it, they're not going to be any good. Well, listeners, first time in the world on a podcast that ribs are like confidence. I like your analogy, but I think it's safe to say that's the first time that's ever happened. It is the first time it's ever <laughs> happened, but ribs are so good. I mean, yeah, how can you not true. draw parallels to so many things? That's true. Maybe that's we have to draw parallels with everything we teach in food. <laughs> it's a subliminal thing that we're doing. There we yeah. go. Yeah. We're going to get accused of, of listeners gaining weight because they're listening to our show. On that, <laughs> that'll be an interesting day. <laughs> and you guys, when you're persuading somebody next time, try not to sit there and lick your chops and get out wet naps and put on a napkin when you're listening. We're, we're, we're okay. not saying pretend your prospects are ribs. We're just kind of making an analogy here. Yeah. It might be kind of <laughs> fun, though. But it's up to you. Anyways, sorry to to derail things. All right, tangent. Tangent alert. (laughs) Another aspect, too, with confidence is inside. I mean, sometimes you don't feel confidence. And when you don't feel confidence, sometimes you trigger deception. Not that you're deceiving people, but people might think you are. We have to understand when you're talking to somebody, fear breeds doubt, and doubt destroys confidence. And so when you have fear or negative thoughts or indecision, lack of purpose, lack of passion, or you're stuck on worry... Then all of a sudden that sucks the life out of you. You become very weak in their mind. You're not confident at all. No one's going to listen to you because they want someone that's going to solve their problem. And so you have to be careful, especially with worry. I mean, worry is negative goal setting. You're stuck in that rut to where what if, what if, what if. And eventually what you think about becomes reality because we've talked about your thoughts control your emotions and your emotions control your actions. Well, let me play devil's advocate here. Okay, I'm the persuader in theory. Mm-hmm. And because I, I've been ruining every, everything today on the podcast, so I'm going to play devil's <laughs> advocate. I'm in the persuader's shoes. What if I'm not confident? What if I don't like my product or I'm new and I don't believe in it? What if I'm everything that you just said that I shouldn't be? How do I fix that? Well, confidence is a state of mind. There's no way around that. And at times you might need to spend some time alone, do some visualization. Because we've talked about with even worry Worry comes from lack of vision, lack of visualization, because you haven't seen yourself doing it. So you spend some time, visualize yourself doing the presentation, visualize them saying yes, visualize them laughing at your joke, because we all have a tendency to feel insufficient or inferior. That's part of who we are. But when you lose faith in yourself or your product, or you keep rerunning your failures, you keep thinking about fears, these worries and questions, that manifests itself. 
So it comes through experience, obviously. It can come through visualization. It can come through practice. It can come through really knowing your product. And sometimes you have to say it. Sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. You got to get out there and do it. And, and here's a tip. I've trained a lot of public speakers, a lot of presenters, and here's something that's just true. You do not look as worried or fearful as you think you do. Does that make sense? When Absolutely, someone gives a presentation, yeah. they're like, oh, I was so scared. I'm like, I t- ask the audience, do they look scared? Did you see the fear? They're like, no, no. Now, obviously, if you lose bladder control or if you faint, they're going to notice that you're full of fear. But the reality is most of the time they don't know. And so you sometimes you just got to get out there and get as much confidence as possible, and that makes a big difference. I don't know if you've been doing this, but the NBA playoffs are happening right now, and we've got the Indiana Pacers versus the Miami Heat for the Eastern Conference Finals. Early on in the playoffs, the Pacers, their number one seed in the East, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this, they were not playing very well, losing some games they shouldn't, and they have a center on their team named Roy Hibbert, huge guy, seven feet tall, very talented athlete, very talented basketball player and he was virtually invisible for a couple of weeks not scoring any points not getting any rebounds and it became a big topic of conversation in the in the national sports media about what happened to Hibbert's confidence what's wrong with Hibbert right the Pacers went into a big game I think this was against uh, the Atlanta Hawks I'm not sure and they just kept feeding the ball inside to Hibbert and he was screwing up and screwing up and they kept doing it and finally he made a layup And you could see the light go on. He had a minor victory, and he realized that, okay, I was in a little bit of a slump. It happens statistically. It happens to us as persuaders. We need to just keep trying and know on a logical level, even though emotionally we're afraid, we're not feeling confident, because like Kurt said, you don't look as stupid, you don't look as silly as you think that you actually do. So just get out there and keep doing it, because you're going to have a small victory, and you can build on that. You bust that slump. You get out of it just like it happens to uh, professional athletes all the time. Great point. And just to add to that, not only have a small victory, sometimes if you need that confidence, you can think of past victories. Have a victory list. The time you did it, you scored, you, you made the sale, you got the big negotiation, and, and that's all part of it. We are basically athletes. We have to think we're athletes. We're going to blow it. We're going to make a mistake, but we got to go back and get back in the game. And the sooner we get back in the game without, oh, poor me, what if, why did this happen, and get the fears to grow, Think of past victories, think of current victories, get back in the game, get your mindset, and get that confidence back because otherwise it's going to be a downward spiral for you. It's all emotionally based, right? You have the skills. It's not like you just became horrible overnight, right? It is. I mean, you mentioned basketball, football. They have sports psychologists. That's a huge industry. We can talk about Tiger Woods to where you're just not in the zone. You're not in the game. You used to be great. It happens to everyone. And that's been an amazing thing through these years of research, how similar sports psychology, sports mindset, and how successful people think are very, very similar. Yep, yep, good stuff. We're getting to where we need to wrap it up here before we go into our blunder. Do you have anything else you want to add on the topic of confidence? The one thing that I want to add that's kind of interesting is how we handle embarrassment. We all get embarrassed. We all make mistakes. And if you try to cover it up and it wasn't your fault and it was somebody else, Actually, when you're embarrassed, you make a mistake. I trip on the stage. I fall off the stage. Something goes wrong. People actually appreciate that. The way you handle it can really affect your confidence. Because if you deny it, it didn't happen, it wasn't your fault, you cross that bridge to arrogance or, or cockiness. But admit it. Smile. Laugh about it. You're human. You made a mistake. People actually like you more for that. It makes you more human. It makes you more real. And it makes you more confident. Good stuff. Cue up Homer. Homer, bring it on. Go, go, 
don't, don't. I think if we could do on these blunders, I'd like to start playing the audio of some of these, especially when it's a big media debacle like the one that we're going to talk about today. It'd be funny for uh, the listeners to hear it. So uh, we'll put that on the list of to-dos. And we actually do address, we, we look at that list every couple of months, don't we? Yeah, we do. I think that'd be a great idea. Hear the audio and then they get the blunder in real time. Yep, yep. And the blunder today, the gift that keeps on giving Donald Sterling... Uh, the owner in limbo of the Los Angeles Clippers. We mm. talked about him a couple of episodes ago, his racial rant that he went on that was recorded. And we talked about how everybody has their personal feelings, whether we like them or agree with them or not. But when it's something like that, you just really should keep it to yourself, especially when you're in a, a high profile situation. Like I said, not saying uh, we agree with him at all, despicable things that the guy said. And the hits just keep on coming for Mr. Sterling. So Anderson Cooper of CNN finally got an interview with this guy. So his PR people, because we mentioned this when we first talked about the blunder, Kurt, uh, the task that his PR people were going to have ahead of them. <laughs> and yeah. they first responded by, let's just not do anything for about a month, <laughs> which was not a great idea. And then he decides to go on national TV with Anderson Cooper and Anderson Cooper asks him if he's sorry for what he said. And that's followed by about a five-second awkward pause. And he just starts fumbling over himself with vocal fillers and mutters some nonsensical garbage. And that was it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so now everybody hates him even more. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but he's in the media now saying that he's not going to pay the fine. The NBA fined him $2.5 million, I believe, and that he's going to fight this in court. So uh, he's going to continue to to tarnish his brand, and nobody's going to want to uh, want to play for this guy. It just keeps getting worse. So I think at some point he's going to be featured on the show again. He's probably running his own PR. I don't <laughs> think anybody with a brain would be telling him to do these things. Or he's not following what they have to say. You know, we see it with him and we see it with politicians to where sometimes just admit you're wrong, you made a mistake, you blew it. And move on. Let's heal those wounds a little bit. But he's just putting more salt in the wounds, I guess we'll call it. And salt on the ribs? No, that wouldn't work. Salt <laughs> on the wounds. And he's just making it worse. And sometimes you have to own up. Even sometimes in negotiation where you know it's not your fault, apology's cheap. It really is. Hey, I'm sorry. That's not my intent. I'm sorry you're angry. Sorry you interpreted it that way. I'm sorry you did that. Sometimes we can apologize and just defuse the situation because when you go into negotiation, they're looking to fight and you want to fight and it just gets heated up from there. And I don't know where his brain is. I don't know if he's all there. I don't know what he meant or what he did not meant. But I do know the way he's handled it. He's making the wound fester and, man, he's going to lose the limb. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And that's we bring these up because of the the – application that it has to persuasion and negotiation like you said and you know you might screw up with a prospect or a vendor or a client or whatever and and like you said apology is cheap and you might lose the business you might lose it forever but when you apologize at least you're not burning the bridge you leave that open down the road for things to heal over time you can do business again over time Whereas if you just take that old school mentality of I'm I'm super confident all the time, I'm the best at what I do, that might be true, but everybody screws up. And we just increasingly see that where if a brand or a product or a salesperson presents themselves in a certain way of we're perfect all the time, that whole trust meter that we were talking about earlier, it goes off and we're just not buying it. 
Yeah, we, we do all screw up, but we all say stupid things. We've offended people. We've offended people every time on this show. We're sorry, right? There's my apology. There you go. It happens, and it's okay. It's just when you hold your ground, it wasn't your fault. You know, that's where you cross the line from cockiness and arrogance, and nobody wants to be around you, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And, oh, yeah, I don't think this will be the last time we talk about this because he's not backing down. In my mind, I don't know how much he can say or do to not admit he blew it. I mean, he's recorded what he said, like you said, was despicable. I don't know how it is, mind he can justify that, but it'll be interesting in the future to see what he says to try to justify that. I really wish the guy had a Twitter account because it would be really <laughs> fun to, to follow him on Twitter and just watch this whole debacle unfold before our eyes. I guess he doesn't. He probably doesn't even know what Twitter is based on the his comments. <laughs> He'll soon be a case study at Harvard for what not to do for public relations. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, everybody. We should uh, wind it down. I said we had limited time, and we totally threw that out the window. So we're going to shut it down for the day. Kurt, anything before we finish up? The main thing here, if you're not feeling confident, visualize it. Think it through. Think of past victories. Everyone feels a little nervous. Have a few butterflies. I said this before. It's okay to have a few butterflies. Just get them to fly in formation. Get out there and do it, and the confidence will happen for you. Sounds good to me, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week. 